Man, you know you've got a four-year-old when you've got the intro song to Ryan's Mystery Playdate stuck in your head. Jesus Christ, I hate that song. I hate that show. Uh, what's up, everybody? <laughs> this is uh, David Baker, your host for the Just F and Senate podcast. Um, coming at you with episode two. Um, <clears throat> I previously had recorded episode two last night. And uh, I, I could, I reckon I could have posted it instead of redoing it. But I, I re-listened to, well, there's a couple things. I re-listened to it and I'm glad I did. There was a glitch and like the 19 minute mark where it somehow had skipped about 30 to 45 seconds, maybe a minute. And it just jumped from one sentence to another. Um, and it didn't make any sense. And right now I'm recording this on my Toshiba la uh, laptops voice recorder app. Um, I have the audacity software downloaded. I just, I have to sit down and, watch YouTube tutorials on how to run this thing because I swear it takes a a legitimate engineer to understand that app. You know, all the guys that are doing podcasts right now and you're using all these cool Gucci softwares, my hat's off to you if you didn't know how to do them previous. Um, I'm, I'm going to end up doing it that way. I can you know, fix those errors. I'm not that I'm really going to go edit myself as much as if something's you know messed up, I'm going to go back and fix it. Um, that, and I, I did realize there were a couple of things that I left out and things that I said incorrectly, uh, like the year that I joined the military was wrong. <laughs> I don't know why I said 09. No, I joined the Air Force in 05. Um, I got out in 09. Um, I will touch on that uh, later. Um, and I also realized, I, yeah, people tell me I have a dirty mouth, uh, that I curse a lot. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I listen to myself, and oh my God, I do curse a lot. I even curse too much for me to even. <laughs> it was. I was like, this is this is just enough. This is too much. Um, I, I, I I'm gonna try my best. This is not going to be a kid friendly podcast. If you know you didn't gather that from the first episode, uh, which I'm sure you did. It's not going to be, but, you know, even so, I, I just went overkill, and I don't even realize that I'm doing it. So I'm going to have to be conscious in, in this <laughs> profanity I use because I do speak profanely. My mother does not like it. Um, but so I, I figured that can just uh, throw that one to the, the chopping block and then start over again. Uh, okay, this episode was is supposed to be more so about who you're listening to. Um, you know, that way you know kind of where my experience is and where I'm coming from. Uh, and, you know, you may listen to this and say, well, who, what do I got to listen to this guy for? I shoot better than him. Yeah, you, you may. You may shoot better than me. Um, but I think even some of the top shooters still pick up things. Um you know, from, from people. I mean, that's why some of the top shooters still take courses. Um, there's always something that you can either be refreshed on or, like I mentioned in the last episode, something that you can just see it from a different perspective, uh, a different plan of attack, from a different angle, uh, and 
be able to to move forward with a, a more refined skill in whatever it is that you know that that you would be maybe picking up on. Um, but even this podcast, also, it's, it's entertainment, man. It's uh, like I said, it won't always be talking about just precision rifle or just working dogs or just whatever else. There's going to be random talk about anything and everything, um, which is cool. And it's there's no parameters around me and in this podcast. If, you know, we can talk about whether if we really landed on the moon or not. You know, or conspiracy theories and and shit like that. I you know I enjoy talking uh, through things like that with people. Uh, JFK's assassination. It was the CIA. Um, and things of that sort. We'll uh, we'll touch on all those topics, but I will try to keep it centered uh, around precision rifle and, and the topics that are the reason why you're actually tuning into the podcast. Um, uh, where to start? Um, I guess I'll start with what something that I touched on in the last one as far as golf. Um, I played golf, like I mentioned, from uh, we have home video of me in diapers and a pacifier with a golf club, plastic golf club in my hand with a gigantic plastic golf ball, you know. And they videoed me. I would address the ball like I've seen my dad do or I watched on TV because my dad always watched golf on the weekends. And I'd look down the ball. And I'd look up like where I was hitting and look down. I'd waggle and, and, and then I'd, I'd swing and miss the ball. But, um, you know, from the time that I was old enough to swing a real club, that's what I was doing. Um, you know, I played baseball, soccer uh, in high school as well and did pretty well at both of those. Um I we won state championships back to back in high school and soccer and in uh, baseball. I was recruited to pitch for the same team, the same school that I ended up playing golf for in college. But uh, shoulder issues and that didn't it didn't help, and so yeah, that went by the wayside. And I didn't even play baseball my senior year. Um, but golf, the reason why I bring up golf specifically because like again, that I mentioned in the last episode, there is a lot of correlation, whether you, whoever's listening to this likes it or not, between golf and long-range precision. And most of it, other than the obvious, which we're trying to hit a target a long ways away, you're trying to put a ball in a hole a you know long ways away So, and, and, and make that hit in as least shots as possible, right? But uh, aside from the obvious, the biggest correlation is the the mental aspect, and I, I know that that is where where my biggest flaw is in in shooting is the before the shot is even before the buzzer even goes off, whether I am I have a self defeated. Um, mindset if I because of the things that I mentioned that I struggle with um, you know things are backwards to me sometimes um, things are a lot very distracting to me uh, I have a hard time focusing uh, I no longer take my medication for ADHD um, because I don't like the the person I am when taking it and nor does my wife I'd rather struggle with it than be flat 
or everything that it makes me takes away my personality. Um, so I guess I still, I don't, but I don't get the benefits from what it can do for me in shooting because it did very much so in the military. Uh, cause that's actually where I was diagnosed was in the military. Um, but, uh, yeah. So before, before the shot, the further, before the first shot is where your self image the fact that you either believe or you don't believe that you have the capability and the skill to succeed in what you're doing. Meaning you walk up to a stage, you need to have, and this is things are things that I've picked up in that book that I mentioned, the mental uh, secrets of mental marksmanship by Keith Cunningham. And I think Linda price is her name. Um, Go pick up that book, do yourself a favor and go get it. But thought of the things they talk about are your self image I, for example, shot a match um, the this past summer at Pig River, and and I'll be honest with you, as far as pulling the trigger, make shooting, just the shooting aspect, I don't know if I have shot better in my career. M- maybe have, I don't know, but it just seemed that I shot so well. But you know what? I placed horribly because there were so many times that it was absolute mental havoc. Example of that. Me and my shooting partners, my buddies, uh, CL and Jeff, um, we always joke about myself. Um, I, I'm the first one to do it. Um, but we, I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm going to definitely shoot the wrong target here, this one. And then I would, I would do it. I, I doomed myself into doing it where I should have had the, the mental image, the self image of I'm going to clean this thing. And whether I clean it or not, the shots that I miss don't be upset or angry or frustrated that I missed them. Be glad that I did to where, okay, I'm using this, those maybe four, three or two shots that I missed. I'm going to use those as tools to, to help better me to where I don't miss them again. Or, you know, having, you need to have the, almost like a, like a positive affirmation of like, it is like me to shoot well. It is like me to perform at my best. Um, you know, it is like me to clean a stage or to, uh, anything performance related as opposed to, uh, result related by that i mean especially when it comes to setting goals goals are absolutely one of the most important things that you can do aside of training is goal setting and maybe your training is your goal or one of them and you should have many goals you should have small achievable goals larger uh you know larger aspiration goals but they need to be realistic as well. But they definitely need to be performance oriented as opposed to uh, solution or um, something that you cannot uh, result oriented, something you cannot control. The example of this would be if you go and shoot a, let's say, a club level match and your stereotypical club level shooters are there, 
and then you go and shoot X, which let's say that you top fived it, okay? Then your very next match is a, let's just, you know, throw, throw it up against the wall here. Let's say then your very next match is the PRS finale, okay? Now, what is the big difference, the biggest difference of between that club level match and the PRS finale, other than one being a one day and other being a two day. The biggest difference is the competition there. So if your X value of what you shot at your club level match, if you then shoot that same X level, meaning I hit the same hit percentage or whatever, um, it's going to be different. You're not going to be in the top five unless you are a top five shooter. But if you typically aren't, but you did at the club level, when you go to the finale, well, the biggest difference is who's going to be there. It's the talent there, right? I cannot control if Matt Brousseau is at a match along with Jake Vibbert, Tate Streeter, Nico Detour, Phil Vallejo, you know, you name them, John Pinch, all of, if they're all there, well, then that all that is doing is bumping me because, hey, they are better than I am, and that's fine. Um, they are going to bump me down because it's, that's, well, really, it's math. It's because if, <laughs> just the way it works out with someone, a, the, a greater number of people there that are better than you, you're not going to, shoot into the same position. You can't control how well they shoot. The only thing you can control is your performance. So your performance needs, to, uh, your goals need to be performance oriented, meaning I want to, my goals are at every shot to have my natural point of aim correct. Every shot I want to breathe, I want to breathe uh, and, and shoot at the bottom of my breath cycle. I, my goal is to every shot I want to to manage the recoil and follow through and by follow through I don't just mean pinning the trigger to the back of the trigger guard I mean follow through and get the data that the bullet is going to give you assuming you can it can be seen because sometimes the, the the universe swallows up bullets tall grass no berm all that stuff there's nothing you can do about that that's another thing you can't control but let's say you're shooting a stage that has a big nice soft dirt berm and you're throwing them into and you can see them follow through is looking for that data and having it come back to you and then you apply it to your follow-up shot your goal is to um to have that good 90 degree trigger finger and, and pull straight back to you, not pulling, not, not yanking the trigger, pushing the trigger. Um, those are goals that you can control. Now, now, here's the beauty of it. If you do all of those things and achieve those goals, well, the results will work themselves out. Meaning, if I shoot, if I do that every time and at the end of my match, whether it be a 100-round match, I know 100 times out of 100, I did all of those things, well, as long as you're putting good wind calls on as well, then you're going to shoot as good as you can possibly shoot. That is all you can control. You cannot control how other people shoot or uh, other um, factors that could come into play. Uh, maybe 
you've never shot in 25, 30 mile an hour wind, and it's your first match in Oklahoma. Well, um, you can't control that, but you can control your best in, in, like I mentioned before, which is seeing your misses and then applying the correct wind call to your next shots, transposing the picture in your reticle, the, the perfectly calibrated ruler that's three inches in front of your eyeball and applying it over to a target to then get a, a hit on your follow-up shot. Those are things you can control. You can control how well you prepare for that match, meaning you got all your shit with you. Yet, if, if you show up to a match, like, oh, my God, I don't have my Kestrel with me. Well, whose fault is that unless someone stole it? It's yours. It's, it's my fault if I leave that. That's something I can control. I can control that, control that by having a checklist that I check. Um, I, I can control that by, you know, double checking and maybe taking things that I possibly could need that I haven't used it in the past three matches, but it could come, well, your luck, the time you leave it is the time you need it, right? It's just like carrying a concealed carrying a pistol. You know, it's always it's all great when you have it, but as soon as you leave it at home is the day that you'll need it and you don't have it and you're unprepared, um, heaven forbid. But, you know, it, that's that's the struggles that I've been working through. Um, but as far as the times, the matches as a whole, uh, you know, like that Pig River match, I felt that I, I felt good with the way that when my mental game was correct and I was not making mental mistakes, I shot well. I cleaned a couple stages. Uh, I, I shot, you know, uh, I got some, you know, good eights and nines on some tough stages. Uh, outshot some people that were better than me on those stages. Um, that's not the norm, but you know, the the more the less rare that becomes, the better off I, the better off I am. But um, another example, there was a tank trap. And there were two targets, three positions, which that in of itself is a screwball in to, to me. I mean, it's it's a change up because, you know, I'm, you know, I have to be able to focus, and it's hard for me to remember all that stuff, the things that I deal with. But there's three positions on this tank trap. There's two targets, and but the here's the real bitch for me was at Pig River to get from the firing position to the target location in case the target goes down. Like you can do it, obviously, but it's it's a real orchestration. You know, it slows up the the match for a ceasefire. So there's two targets at each position. You know, only one at each position is in play. You tell the RO, I'm going, I'm shooting the left target, or I'm shooting the right target. Well, <laughs> I was, okay, I'm told the RO, I'm gonna shoot left target. Where was the first target I shot? the right target smacked it i mean i center punched it and wrong target shit go to the next target which is about on 150 yards behind that one uh boom right target well right side incorrect target <laughs> wrong target damn it and just things like that it's 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 really mind racking and and very frustrating but that's where I know that about myself. I can look at myself introspectively and try to come up with a game plan before my next match, how to combat that. 
right? So um, I posted a video today on my Instagram, um, and I mentioned I bought some. Oh, I had gotten the new Coltac cheat sheet little PVC card thing that goes on your scope for your data card uh, for stage. And after the last match that I shot, I decided that I was going to try to come up, formulate a plan to write down on my data card more info than just if there's a target at, at two, four, six, and eight, and just doing that in the dope, the, my elevation. No, if I need to, I'm going to write down uh, reminders of maybe positions, um, you know, put down kneeling, then dash, put my dope, and then uh, standing, dash, put my dope. And that way I look at every single one and I get my, uh, my information that I need to help prevent me from making those same mistakes that I used to make all the time. Um, and, and that, that's, that's all, all part of things that I can control. I can control how I prepare and how I uh, attack a certain issue that I'm having. Um, and, and that's, that's what I'm going to be implementing this year. I'm trying it out and I haven't shot a match since. So it will be, it'll be fun to see how, how well that it, it works for me. And if, if I come finish a match, I'm like, you know what? I did not have one stage that I left points on a table, right? Um, if, if you've, if you shot a match with me, you, you had to feel bad for me because it's like seeing a train wreck, like watching a slow motion train wreck because, you know, I'll go and I'll clean a stage and then the very next stage I'll bomb it because of stupid mental errors. Mental errors maybe even before I, it was my turn to shoot. Um, you know, I have gone up there with the last stage's dope on. I forgot to put my new dope on. And it was like a holdover stage. You couldn't touch your turret. So not only did I have the wrong dope dialed on the scope, I also had to hold over um, to, to try to get hit zero. The target's at 700 yards. I didn't remember what my 700-yard dope was. I think I had like 2.5 mils on the scope. And I'm like, why am I not hitting it right now? And I was like, oh, that looks like the dope from the last stage. Way to go, David. And it, I, I zeroed the stage. And uh, I've had things happen, um, some more examples of, uh, if, there's, if there's a boneheaded mistake to make, I have made it. Um, I, I am my own worst enemy. So it's, I, I can shoot way better than what I score. And that this year is what I'm trying to change. I'm trying to at least come close to shooting and scoring to my potential. So it that's just that's just something that maybe you you deal with the same thing that you're like, okay, well then maybe I need instead of just accepting, that well, this is just how I shoot, or these are, these are the things that happened to me. Which where I was, no, stop, sit down, pen and paper, think of ideas, things that would help you, and then move forward and with a plan, and then try it out. I mean, the worst you can do is it not work, and then well, it wouldn't have you know what you're doing before didn't work either. So at least you can x that one off the page and then maybe start trying another solution.
Um, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a little rant in a little rabbit trail. Getting back to um, history. Um, okay, so yeah, there was my golf career. My, my golf coaches told me, you know, you're a great golfer. Uh, you'll never get past the collegiate level of golf because of your head, your, your mental strength, your, you self, you, you self implode, you, you defeat yourself. You you can strike the ball. Um, you know, I was a hundred in college. I was in high school. I was 138, 140 pounds, 511. I mean, I I was a, a freaking pencil, but when playing golf, my average drives were, 300 to three, you know, 15 because of just momentum in my club head. I could hit the ball. I could generate so much club head speed that the ball just didn't have a choice but to, to go into another area code. Um, and that was before, I mean, this was back in 04 and 05. So technology has changed. I mean, I can imagine <laughs> how far I'd be hitting the ball today um, if I was still playing. But, um, and they were right. At that time, I didn't have the, the 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 mental coaches to help me through this, or a a mentor that could help me push through this barrier that I had, this glass ceiling over top of me. That it, with the with maybe an hour sitting down with somebody, I could have I could have shattered the glass and and gone from there. Maybe who knows? We'll never know. Um, but and that's okay because my life turned out pretty good without golf. But um, so I did a year of college and then um, decided that my, when I went to college, I wanted to uh, graduate and and go to the Air Force, be commissioned. Um, I wanted everybody wanted to be a fighter pilot, um, but school, just as you can probably tell or would, would imagine, um, school was just not for me. Um, I was actually doing pretty well in college. I actually did better GPA-wise in college than I did in high school. But um, school just wasn't for me. And I was like, you know what? If I can't fly them, fuck it, I'll work on them. And so uh, instead of flying F-15s, I became a an F-15 engine troop. Uh, I worked a couple years in the back shop. Um, so think of when... Uh, like a basically an auto mechanic shop okay so your car they got to pull your motor uh, except they're not bringing the jet in there they're just bringing the engine for us to break down overhaul fix uh, bore scope so i was using you know two hundred thousand dollar bore scopes and uh you know now i wish i had those bore scopes to <laughs> for my, my barrels but um you know stuff like that um and then uh, I went to a volunteer to go out to the flight line, which kind of sucks. But uh, you're outside in the elements, um, working on the the engines while in the jet, or pulling engines out of the jet to then take them to the back shop, go stealing the spare engine out of the spare barn, throwing it in the bird, and get it back up in the air as soon as possible. Stuff like that. But my uh, my last year in the Air Force was, uh, I think, my most rewarding year because I felt that I had a bigger impact on not the mission because of what it was. It was more so an impact on people. Um, I was uh, on a guard. You're only supposed to do like 
three or four months of honor guard, and then you go back to your duty station or your your normal job. Excuse me, third's a little dry. Um, but I loved it so much. I begged and pleaded to stay, and I was like, I want to finish my enlistment. You know, my, the rest of my contract here in honor guard because I loved it so much. Um, <laughs> I did. I had some funny funerals. One in particular. It was actually here in my hometown because, like I mentioned, I was stationed. I think I mentioned it. I was stationed in Goldsboro. You join the Air Force to to go see the world, and you get fucking stationed forty five minutes from home. It was a little bit of a drag, but it worked out good because I had some perks. Um, at one time, I was the highest paid airman basic E one in the military that was single because I convinced my dorm chief to put in the papers for me to get B A H and B A S. Uh, at a single rate um, because I was like, I'm just going to live in Greenville. I'm not going to live in my dorm room. It's going to look just like it does right now, six months from now. Um, you know, I, I hate Goldsboro. I'm going to live in Greenville. And so I had an apartment and everything. So I ended up getting, he ended up doing it. And so I was making more than senior errands were that were single um, E4s. I was making more than them because I was getting a housing allowance and food allowance. Um, but neither here nor there. Um, yeah, we had a funeral here in my hometown that it was a shit show from, from Jump Street. It was, uh, well, first of all, it's hotter than three hells outside. I mean, it was literally, I was sweating like Michael Vick and PetSmart. Um, it was July, like three o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon. And they were like an hour and a half late. They get there and I'm sure you've all seen you know, something involving a veteran after they've passed away, how the, 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 the flag is draped over the casket. Well, um, they normally always are. And then once the casket is put on the vault, and then it's our turn after they do whatever they do at the graveside, then we go take the flag off of the casket and, and go from there with the military honors. But this casket had no flag. And this was a three man funeral. This guy, I think he was murdered. Um, he was like in his 30s, but I think it was like a drug deal gone bad. Um, and I'm, th I'm freaking out. I was like, oh, my God, where's the – I'm the NCO of the detail. Like, I'm the guy, like, in charge of, of, the, of the detail. And I was like, where the fuck is the flag? I would see it. They're, they're like, you know, 70 yards off um, from the gravesite. And uh, uh, they put the casket on. And come to find out, they have not had the funeral – or the wake yet, they're doing it all graveside. So they say some words, sing some songs or whatever, and then they go and take the casket off of the vault, turn it around, put it back on the vault, open it up. There's the flag folded up on his chest, and it was, the fold was so fucked up, it looked like Ray Charles did it drunk with his left ass cheek. Um, but he... Uh, he had passed away. We were, we had, we get the paperwork when the orders come for us for doing military honors for a funeral. This Bama had died like a month before that day. And it was hot as balls outside. So when they opened that casket, I was like, oh my God, this dude fucking reeks. He smells so bad already. And uh, even when we had to unfold the flag, and and stuff and we pop the flag to to straighten it out and then come together and start to fold like it's, it's wafted just stank um it was horrible 
But the the family was when they're doing the uh, the viewing, they're like would walk just like a normal wake and, and view the body. Some of them were like cursing out the body. They were cussing out the body and shit, and they're like you damn knucklehead. This is what you gone and done, shit like that. And then the brother, I guess it was his brother, he had this stick. It was like a almost like the shape of like a like a picket fence, but it's small, kind of like a the size of a paint stirrer. And he had it was wrapped in duct tape and had shit written all on it like G unit and Thug Life and you had dollar signs in the marker. I was what the fuck is that thing? He stuffs it in the casket, and and his mother comes around and said and and she had a, a bag with like some cash in it. Stuffed the cash in the casket and said, "Now you got your stick and your money. You don't need to ask mama for money no more." And, and all that, I was like, "Oh my god, what the fuck am I?" What am I witnessing right now? I I ain't never seen some shit like this. I've done like 50 funerals. I ain't never seen some shit like this. Um, and then they, when that was all done, they closed it back up, pulled it back off the vault, turned it around, put it back on the way it originally was. It was just a complete clusterfuck. And as we were walking away, now mind you, this was a three-man funeral. He was a veteran. He wasn't a retiree. He wasn't active duty. He, so he only got, you know, a three-man uh, military honors. And as there's no there's no firing party on a three man uh, the like the twenty one gun salute, there was none of that. Um, it's just we fold the flag, get the next to kin. Which when I gave it to her, I mean, she looked at me like a cow looking at a new gate. And she didn't give a fuck about that flag that I was giving her. She had like she didn't want to be there. Um, but anyway, as we're walking off the dam, they had like Amazing Grace playing or some shit, and. It's like five people from the congregation of people started shooting pistols in the air and shit was scared the hell out of all of us. We were like, oh my God, we were not expecting gunfire. It was, it was gnarly. We got back in the van. We're like, what the fuck did we, did we just see? What was that? Um, but that was one for the record books. Um, the hardest, the hardest thing I've ever had to do, I think in my life was we had a uh, we had a young man, probably in his thirties, that he was a he was a veteran, um, just a three man three man military honored funeral, and uh, he had died in a uh, I think it was a motorcycle accident, a car accident, a motorcycle accident, and just an accident of some sort. And they before the service got started the graveside service got started the um the funeral director told me that the his children are going to be the next of kin his wife was there but they he i guess they specifically wanted me to give them present them the flag and give them the message of condolence i was like oh my god no please don't i, I can't take that well, I did it, and I doctored the message of condolence in a way that a seven-year-old and an 11-year-old could understand it and still get the picture that I was painting to them, that their country, the Air Force, veterans, we, we, we thank them for his service. And I walked away almost a blubbering mess it was everything I could do to not start crying in front of those kids and in front of that entire congregation of people and it, it was the most gut-wrenching thing that I'd ever done 
And when I got back to the van, normally when you're in the van going to or from funerals, it's just nonstop joke time. Uh, talk about drinking bars, women, whatever, fart jokes, dick jokes, whatever. You could have heard a mouse piss on a cotton ball in that van. I told him, I was like, I, I'm going to sit in the back. I don't don't talk to me for a little while. So I just laid there and laid, put my head up against the windows looking out and just thinking that, you know, at least if these kids, they never forget this day, as horrible as the day it was, at least maybe they got to see somebody that wore the uniform that daddy used to wear and they that he made it special. You know, I was 21, 20 or 21 years old. I wasn't ready for that type of like emotional roller coaster. You know, normally it's, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And we're done. We're out. We're on the way back home. You know, that was, that was an entirely different experience than anything I've ever experienced. And I still to this day haven't had to, I've look, I've found dead bodies before and had to tell their children, which were my age. So it was like a friends of mine, your dad's dead. I, you're, I, you know, the long story that I'm not getting into, but that was not as hard to me as me doing that to that seven and 11 year old. Um, fuck it. It fucks me up whenever I think about it really. Um, uh, anyway, um, the Air Force uh, gave me my first taste in, in interest in uh, working dogs. Um, I've had German Shepherds since I was a kid. And, uh, I mean, I've got pictures of me standing up with a pacifier in my mouth. I'm shorter than the German Shepherd is that we had. And I've had Shepherds my whole life. But never working dogs um, until... Uh, one of my buddies was an SP. Um, he's a cop in the Air Force, and he was a, a handler. And I thought his dog was the coolest thing in the world. And, you, you know, I went there took a few bites with the sleeve because they'll let anybody do it. Um, and it's really not a good thing for the dog to have an inexperienced decoy working them. But I can't even say I was working them. I was more getting mauled by the dog, um, not knowing what to do. Um, but it gave me my first, like, little bug bite of, of – working dogs and shortly after getting out and you know got married and uh to my lovely wife um we uh i was like you know what i want to get a working dog that i want to train like i want to i want a protection dog and i want to train him and go from there and it really was just a means to an end of having the extra security of a a trained working dog um, but kind of like precision rifle when I got into that, which we'll touch on here shortly, obviously, um, I didn't expect for like the bug to bite me to where it, well, now I just want to train dogs and it did. So, um, you know, I started with, uh, my first working dog, which was a uh, major, he's st I still have him today. He's an old man now. Uh, amazing, amazing dog. I got him as a puppy. Uh, in Slovakia, um, the mountains in Slovakia, solid black shepherd, um, and a hell of a working dog. And, uh, yeah, I've, he's been with me ever since. And I've had many, many dogs in between then and now, but major still around. And, 
I got into working canines with uh, Bullets Canine here in, in Greenville. And I worked with police departments from um, all over the country and um, even Indian reserves. We've got a dog in uh, the Kenyan Airport. Um, he's a money dog. Basically, he sniffs luggage for finding large amounts of money that's being unclaimed. Obviously, it's Africa. There's all kind of corrupt shit going on in and out of Africa, and that's what they're trying to, uh, you know, to put a tamper on. But um, we've got we've we've done cell phone dogs for prisons. We've done bed bug dogs for bug companies, and uh, we've done uh, arson dogs for. Uh, fire departments and police departments for all over the country, SWAT team dogs, done them all. And then also um, purse protection dogs, people who were in the same exact position as I was when I started, where I just wanted that 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 layer of protection of my property and, um, and, and would train their dogs either from puppy to adult or they had the dog, we would test and then um, evaluate from there. And, uh, you know, you have, uh, like Mike Bullock, with Bullets Canine, who was really my, my biggest influence in working dogs, he always painted the picture, you have to have the clay to make the pot. If you don't have the clay, if the clay doesn't mold, you cannot make a pot. And it's the same thing with dogs. If the dog is not made up of the material that you need to become a working dog, there's no training on the planet that can make that dog um, be successful in working. Um, and you know, that's what we would kind of convey to the people who would bring us dogs to evaluate. Um, but, uh, I got started in that and then got hooked up with the, uh, the, you know, dog trial competition stuff with PSA, uh, protection sports association. And, uh, now APPDA, I was one of the, the original nine, uh, original nine decoys for APPDA, which is American Protection and Patrol Dog Association. Um, and in my sport club up in Maryland, uh, those guys, um, you know, like I mentioned in, in the other podcast, they're, they're family to me. Um, and uh, I, I'd go up to Maryland a lot to spend time with them, train dogs, drink beer, tell lies, you know, joke, joke time all the time with those guys. <clears throat> but um yeah and then my i have a a horrible back and my my time in working dogs uh you know i could work one dog wrong and then i'm in the bed for four to five days with a, a, a bad back um and then you know with deer hunting being so important to me um dogs kind of went by the wayside as far as me working them decoying for dogs um that's my my favorite thing in working dogs is the decoying um but uh you know in deer hunting is something that i've done i started when i was younger but you know my dad didn't deer hunt and um i had to learn it from people that around me and um what got me started in long range was hunting in kentucky um, a friend of mine that just asked me if I was interested in going to Whitetail Heaven Outfitters in Kentucky, I was like, hell yeah, that sounds awesome. I'd love to do that. Um, I'd, I'd never been out of state hunting. 
um, or anything like that. I know everybody knows Kentucky's full. It's got a Boone and Crockett deer behind every tree. And uh, I went there, and, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And, you know, I had a Savage um, Model 111-270, okay? Um, and my buddy who I went with, uh, Steven, he was shooting, which at the time I had no idea what it was. Uh, it was a Remington 700, but he had a, a 7mm STW. And he had like a Caldwell ball, uh, a field pod type thing. And he'd get in these box stands and this pasture and would regularly drop deer at like 500 yards, 600 yards. I'm like, Jesus, like I'm, if it's anything past 200 yards, you know, I'm, I'm worried about taking the shot and missing the deer or wounding the deer. Or I'm hunting places that if the, if the deer's a hundred and, uh, you know, 50 yards from me, I'm not even gonna know he's there because of where I'm hunting is so thick either here and in Kentucky at the certain places that, you know, stands that I'd set. I was like, man, I've got to, I got to figure out how I can shoot that far. Cause in my mind, it was the reason of his success was, well, he's got further to look. So the, the chances of seeing a deer are greater when you have a much greater, uh, field of view and distance. And then when they do come out at that distance, well, he didn't have any problem, you know, putting their dicks in the dirt. So, um, I was like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta buy one of those rifles or something like that. So, you know, without any real education or anything on the, on the subject, I went and bought a Remington 700 Sendero in 300 wind mag, the HS precision stock, the Sendero contoured fluted barrel, the shit Mark X Mark pro triggers. Um, I did first thing I did was put a, uh, I Googled, you know, Remington, aftermarket trigger and uh, a Timney 510 is what came up. So that's what I went with and um, put that in there and quickly realized going through different ammo selections, obviously I didn't reload, but um, that factory barrel was shit. I mean, one and a half, two inches was as good as it was going to get. Now, maybe that a lot of that was me. Um, I had a Bushnell Elite 6500 on top. You know, and I thought that was the cat's ass, but, you know, I didn't know what exposed turrets and target turrets were and how to dial elevation and stuff. Um, but the more I researched, I found Sniper's Hide. Uh, it was back in the scout days. Um, and then I was like, man, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I found that Sniper's Hide had a wealth of knowledge there and resources to feed my newfound addiction in precision rifles and in long range shooting. And, uh, you know, I, I, I found, um, Kirk's, uh, precision rifle media podcast. And I think the first episode I listened to was, uh, Josh Coons with Patriot Valley arms. It was his first, I guess, episode with Kirk on the, on his show. And I was like, Oh, well that's, that sounds that sounds cool. Oh, that sounds great. And, uh, this guy seems to really know what he's talking about. You know, I don't know any gunsmiths at this point. And so, um, I listened to like another episode with Josh on there. And so I said, well, I got to call this guy. So I called Josh. And if you know, Josh today, you, you'll believe this, that, you know, my first, when he answered the phone, we ended up talking for like 45 minutes about very little about guns and shooting. We got that out of the way at the beginning of the conversation. And, 
you know, it ended up talking about bow hunting and we both raced motorcycles and this. And I, mean, I don't even remember everything we talked about. But um, so I sent my, my rifle to him. He put a match barrel on it. Uh, and uh, I still have that rifle now uh, with the same barrel on it. And it was, I mean, the rifle could easily outshoot me, um, you know, for what I was, the little that I was learning uh, at the time, at, you know, and it's just trying to soak, sponge everything up, just soak everything up, whether it be from Sniper's Hide, YouTube, um, podcast, like, like Kirk's podcast, um, and stuff like that. It was just, I was just you know, trying to soak it all in, soak it all in. And then it came down to, I was like, well, you know what? A lot of these people are talking about this PRS stuff. I mean, it looks fun for sure. It does look fun, but you know, I'll, I'm, I'm going to get into this so that it makes me a better hunter, which is still true today. You know, I still keep that in my mind when in shooting matches, but I did not know that the bug of precision rifle would bite me and I, I would put shooting competitively on the same level of, as, of importance as hunting and, or, or training working dogs. And it, it all but surpassed both. Um, this has been my my kind of my shtick for quite a few years now, about you know, since 2015, which isn't long. I don't want that makes it like it's been long, but um, I I love it. Um, and uh, so then, so I was like, you know what? This 300 Win Mag has beat me up shooting it so much. I want to get something else. So I got a 308. Well. I bought a Remington 700 and a Bell and Carlson A5 stock um, with it was a, a Remington VTR or 700 VTR the one with that stupid triangle barrel. I don't even think I remember even shooting it with that barrel. I think I immediately said, "Yeah, this barrel's coming off," and I um, had it sent to a gunsmith that, that's here, that local to me, that's a friend of a friend. And uh, he got me a barrel on it. It was like a Remington SPS 26-inch. I think if it has one of those rifles, those Remingtons. 26-inch barrel. The in the last three inches of the barrel was cut off and then threaded. And they threaded the inner diameter of the, the actual, the rest of the, the barrel. And then ported three portholes through that piece of barrel to then make a break. And <laughs> it wasn't even a real break, but I'll tell you this, that's the way, that's the way that barrel was when the guy that I got the barrel and took it to him. So it's not like that's what a gunsmith did. Um, you know, my gunsmith, but, um, it's how it came when I bought the barrel off of somebody on sniper's hide. But I'll tell you that fucking barrel. That thing was so accurate, and I, I just sold last year, I just sold that rifle to my shooting partner, CL, and he had it chopped down to 20 inches to run a suppressor and hunt with it. Even at 20 inches, those gold medal match 168s, it's, it was one hole. I can't explain how a Remington shoots that well, but that is one of the most accurate 308s I think I've ever shot. Um, but it's uh, it's a cool rifle, so I still shoot it with CL some because it's it's a fun little rifle to shoot. And then I you know built a Tika with Josh, um, and uh, continuing that relationship, we would talk funny shit, sending each other funny memes on Facebook, and 
you know, whatever, call each other on the phone. Anytime I had a dumb question and things I'm trying to learn, I ventured into reloading for the first time then and uh, having to pick his brain about reloading. He'd answer the phone at 9 o'clock at night and answer my dumb reloading question. Uh, and then I went to build a couple customs after that. I missed that Tika, though. I sold it to to buy my first custom rifle. And that's the only rifle at, to this point that I regret ever selling is that Tika because that thing was a shooter. I had an MPA chassis when Sturt first making uh, bolt handles for it and I took, sent the barrel, I mean, the bolt off to get fluted at LRI. And uh, I loved that rifle, but I sold it. Um, I shouldn't have. Uh, but I've built one, almost a clone to it since then, but I've got it in a KRG Bravo stock. But... Um, and then, uh, I got a, I got serial number two of the John Hancock rifles. Um, and I shot, I've shot many matches with that and I enjoy that rifle a lot too. I still have it and I have it in a foundation now. Um, but I had it, that's actually the rifle in the, some of the pictures that I've put on this podcast in the KRG, uh, whiskey three chassis. Um, but, uh. You know, Josh, is, Josh has been really good to me, and um, uh, since then, I have become a uh, sponsored shooter through Patriot Valley Arms uh, and Rock Creek Barrels. Um, Rock Creek has been really great to me. They, I have yet to find a Rock Creek that didn't shoot. Uh, they are all just absolute hammers, and they are, an, uh, Russ at Rock Creek is a awesome person to deal with. You talk about top-notch customer service, which I know Bartlin is too. Uh, you know, the Kriegers are, Kriegers are great. All the new barrel manufacturers, not new, all the custom uh, barrel manufacturers are all great. Um, you know, But people just kind of find that flavor of ice cream they like, and they stick to it. And I had Rock Creeks on all my rifles before I even got picked up by um, Rock Creek. Um I will say this, if you have any questions about this, you want to know who it is, shoot me a PM or, or on Instagram or whatever. But there is one barrel manufacturer that are some absolute motherfuckers. Customer service is absolute shit, and the barrels suck ass too. And if you're on Sniper's Hide and been in some of these threads that I've been talking about, it, you know who I'm talking about. Um, but I'm not going to put them on blast here on a you know, worldwide podcast. So I mean, if you got any questions, want to know who it is, let me know. I'll tell you, I ain't, just ain't doing it here on the podcast, but anyway, um, and vortex optics, uh, Nick Loffenberg at vortex has been awesome to me as well. And, uh, you know, we, we talk all the time. We talk hunting stuff and send funny memes and stupid stuff. And, you know, I ask him, I'm always picking on him, like, Hey, when we're going to get a three to 18, AMG, we we all want it. Everybody on Sniper's Hide wants a three to three to eighteen or ish that that uh, range of magnification in an AMG and like shorter, more compact, like a little bit more compact, kind of like the the new Leupold. Um, there's a three to eighteen too, like that size um, optic or like a four to sixteen Night Force, something short and compact for being awesome hunting scope the the amgs i've shot uh behind a, a, a few of them and i'll tell you the glass in those things are just absolutely amazing turrets are awesome tracking is dead nuts 
that's a great, great scope. It's an awesome crossover scope between if you are one of the guys that have a rifle that uh, you want to use for hunting and shooting competitively with. That is, my opinion, the perfect scope to do that um, in the AMG. Um, but I, I, wanted, I want to put this caveat out there about my sponsorship. And I've, I've mentioned this in a few threads that it, where it was appropriate on Sniper's Hide, but when it got talking about the jersey shooters or whatever, um, you know, the I guess you want to call, call them prima donnas or whatever, that is not, not me because I am in no way, shape, or form going to be threatening the guy that's, you know, hunting for first place. I'm not. Um, I'm there to have fun. I'm the guy in the squad that's always making jokes, that is laughing with everybody, that's loving the the aspect of meeting new people, and I just happen to to know a lot of a lot of people in this sport, and that in and of itself has, I guess, made me a little bit appealing to you know to kind of be, I guess lack of better terms associated me to to make me an ambassador for their company not because they're going not because I'm going to be on a podium wearing a, a Patriot Valley Arms jersey with Vortex and Rock Creek all over it but more so you know I'm going to be the one explaining to the the new shooter of well this is why I really like this Vortex scope or this is why um, you know I every barrel I've got is a rock creek or this is why the only person touching my rifles other than me is josh coons at patriot valley and also um i love helping new shooters um i love you know you want to shoot my rifle on a stage here i've got extra ammo run my rifle i'll put the dope on for you just just run it you know here's the keys and uh you know always trying to help out people and I guess that makes me a little bit appealing, but it's not because, you know, I'm some, you know, gunslinger, you know, shooting for first place. It's not happening right now. Um, let me put a dip in. So, um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a, a thing to be said about the, the prima donnas, the guys that are, arguing with ROs over points that they know they didn't get or if you've got two ROs on glass and you're claiming you hit it and neither one of those guys saw it now I've ROed a lot of matches and if I didn't see it I'm going to refer over to my fellow range officer who is also on glass what did you see if he even if he even thinks for a second that yeah that left edge uh, he may have caught it i'm gonna give it to the shooter but if we're sitting here telling you straight to your face dude i saw the splash you missed that shot don't come fucking arguing with me or the next guy the other ro's because even if i'm not ROing and i see that crap like you know what i was on glass too you did miss the shit shut up and go get your shit ready for the next stage uh you know that's that's a thing they will game, and there's a, something to be said about if you're not, you know, gaming, you're not, you're not really trying to win. Well, that may be true. Uh, 
but I'm not going to do anything that I would feel less about if I got away with it and did better than the other people who probably ran the stage in, in, in the spirit of which the stage was written to be shot. Um, I don't know if I could sleep that well knowing that. I'd rather be the guy like, you know what, I'm going to run this bitch exactly how he's supposed to. I may even do it the hard way because I will cut my own nose off to spite my face. I'm going to run this bitch, and we're going to see where it lands. We're going to see where the, the chips land. Um, uh, so, you know, for any new shooters out there, I want to touch on some stuff with new shooters or not even shooters yet, meaning you're not even a new shooter. You haven't even started this yet, that you're just in the process of, I guess, research or you're stumbling across it somehow or, you know, you've seen it before and it's something you're interested in or you're getting ready to shoot your next match this weekend at the Frontline Fury with me, you know, who knows. Um, don't do what I did. My first match, I think it was Pride, but when the match director was like, hey, who's, um, who here's a new shooter? Who, this is your first match. All those hands went up everywhere. I didn't raise my hand. I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't know if it was a pride thing where I was like, oh, well, I don't want people to think I suck. Well, they all saw that I sucked when I started shooting. Um, but uh, at least if I had said I was a new shooter, I'd have a fucking excuse. But not just that or if it was maybe I didn't want special treatment. I wanted to get, you know, my bruises and my, my, my battle scars, I guess, from just eating dick. And believe me, I ate bags of dick in my first match. Um, I didn't come in last, but I was probably in that bottom 10. Um, I can't even remember. I try to block those bad memories out, but don't do that. If you're a new shooter and you're, you haven't made the commitment to shoot a particular match, meaning you don't have a match that you know the date that you've either already paid for or you're planning on, if you haven't done that yet, do this for me. Go to a match. Find out where a match is. The closest one to you, club level match, national level match, guardian match would be amazing. That needs to be, I think, a requisite for everybody's first match to shoot is the guardian. Now, I'll touch on the guardian here shortly. But go to a match. Go to the match director. Get there early from whatever time that you can find out that the um, that the range goes hot and find an RO or find the match director. So ask an RO, where's the match director? And he'll say, oh, that's so-and-so. He's, yeah, he's over there. And go to him and say, hey, my name is this. Um, I'm a new, I'm new to this. I would like to help. I'd like to do whatever I can do to help. Now, please do not, if a match director asks you, well, can you spot hits? You know, can you want to you get on glass and, and, and call hits? Please don't do it. Somebody who is maybe in the hunt for the win uh, uh, for the match and you, you don't know what to look for when a 95-grain Sierra Match King hits a full-size Ipsic at a thousand yards 
or 1,100 yards and there's no hit indicators on it, you will not know what to look for because that plate will not move. So you, some people's scores will be dependent on you doing something outside of your ability. So don't get on glass. Anybody can run a timer. And that's what I did before I shot a match. I did do that so that I would get an idea of like what a match looked like, the format, what to expect. Now, as far as the shooting goes, you will not know what to expect until you do it. I don't care how many YouTube videos you watch. I don't care how many podcasts you listen to. You are going to eat buckets of shit. That is okay. You can make it taste better. If you have the mindset of this first match of mine that I'm shooting, I'm going to eat shit. I'm not looking at this as though that I am competing because you're really not competing. You need to look at that day, that match, that that one day or two days. Start with the one day, but unless it's a guardian. But you know, you need to look at that as this is a a crash course for what to work on for my real debut uh, competitive, um, yeah, my competitive debut, right? You're only going to know those things by shooting it and, and literally falling on your face and knowing what to expect to wear next time. You're, you're going to do it your second match too. Don't get me wrong. It's not like you shoot one match and you got it fucking covered. You don't. But you will learn vast amounts in that first match but you can then but before that you need to do some you need to do some recon by that i mean either just spectating following around some squads asking the match director what you can do to help not on glass it may be going and grabbing score sheets from different stages or it may be um riding around him on the side by side when targets go down or uh whatever running the timer you know uh making sure you know you he tells you what the violations are in the rule book for a dq for like an unsafe movement the 180 degree rule uh anything like that right there's things that you could probably do and, and believe me you'll be greatly appreciated by the match director because match directors work their asses off and are always in need of ro's so that that way you can do some recon and be like, hey, okay, I see, I see that guy has this, that, and the other. That doesn't mean you go and buy all this shit because you don't know what you like and what's best for you. Now I have, I that was me. I bought everything and sold everything, or I still got it in a closet somewhere. You don't have to do that. Don't waste your money. You need to go to a match because what I'm about to tell you is is going to be your saving grace. You go to a match. You need your rifle. You need a scope, and you need some baseline data every maybe 25 yards out to 1,000, okay? And a bipod. Everything else, this community will provide you at that match. I can guarantee that. In fact, if you find out that you're shooting your first match, you find out in looking at the squatting, if you see David Baker on there and you don't have something, Hit me up on Instagram or send me a message somewhere, on, and I will. I I'll probably guarantee you I have it, 
and I will give it to you to use. No questions asked. You got it. But that's not just me. That is like 99% of the people in this community because that's exactly what it is. It's a community. We are, man, I don't know of anywhere, of any type of venue that are, people are so willing to like fall over themselves to help somebody else. Um, use different things. Let's say you're, you, you're at stage one and it is a barricade. You need a barricade back. Ask the guy, that one that looks like something, right? Well, it may be a, a game changer, okay? You may not know that it's called that, but hey, you can tell one bag different from the other by its shape. Like, can I mind if I borrow your bag for this? I don't have a bag, and I'm trying to test out equipment um, to see what I like so I can buy my own. Dude, the people going to be throwing bags at you and, and hitting you in the head with it, trying, here, use my bag. Here, here, use my bag. It's going to happen. And that's great. That's a testament to who you're shooting with, to who's in this community, you know. And and I don't know that it's just precision rifle or if it's all real disciplines of shooting, but I think it is. I think it's just people in this uh, whole firearms, competitive firearms community, I think they're all like that. I know precision rifle is because that's where, you know, that's where my bread is buttered is in precision rifle. That's what I'm, you know, been diving into. I haven't been doing pistol shoot. I suck at pistol. I wish I was better. I need to, I need to shoot better. Um, but you know, this is, it's been precision rifle from day one for me. Um, but, uh, and then you go to your stage two. Okay. This is a, a rock pile stage and you're going to need a bag again. Well, find somebody that has a bag, look around that it looks different from the last one you used. So it then may be a fortune cookie or a Saracen bag, uh, or the tactical utter bag, a Comanche. Just use what you can. Uh, or, um, uh, I don't know, a tripod. Well, if, don't use a tripod if you're a new shooter because you're going to dick it up. Don't do that. That's something you need to train with before you do it, um, is using a tripod, deploying it on the clock, how to move it without tripping over it or just throwing it off to the side and, and abandoning hope with it. Don't do that. If you've never done it before in training, don't try it in a match. And we are all guilty of doing it, me included. Um, but, you know, any gear that you would need, it's it's there. People have it and probably have extras. Um, you know, and, and like I mentioned, one of the best... One of the best uh, venues to get your feet wet is a Guardian match. Guardian long range, was it long, long range shooting or something like that. Um, Gary Larson is a saint of a man. And uh, Brittany McMillan she, with uh, McMillan Stock, she's also one of the people that are going to be heading up uh, a lot of the stuff in the Guardian. She is a sweetie pie. I love Brittany. She's amazing. Um, you know, they're, uh, you go to a guardian, I'm going to give you a couple stories about guardian matches. Um, in fact, it was the first guardian that I'd been a part of. And it was a few years ago at, you know, I think it was the first one they did in North Carolina. I may be wrong. I think it was the first one, but it was at my home range in Warrington at frontline defense. And it was, uh, about this time of year. And, it was 40 degrees and pissing rain. Oh, my God, it was pissing and frigid, miserable, okay? 
there was everybody was soaked head to toe in water and mud. I mean, everybody was just hating life, except for one guy. It was a man that was probably in his early 80s. This guy was farting dust. He, I mean, he rem- remembers the you know inventing of the light bulb. He was there. He had a single shot, 243 Ackley improved bench rest rifle with God knows whatever kind of scope it was. I think he hit two targets, three targets all day. At the end of day one of the Guardian, I saw him and overheard the conversation. He said it was the most fun he's ever had in his life. He embraced the suck where all of us, my bitch ass, was complaining because I was, I was, you know, you know, shaking like a leaf on a tree, freezing and soaking wet and miserable. And this guy's, you know, he was a pipe hitter back in the day. Like he had to be like a Vietnam vet. He was like, you know, just out of his mind. As nice a guy as you'll meet, the best attitude. So. After day one, day one, they do the prizes, prize tables, and everything, the raffles. Everything's raffled. So if you win, if you beat everybody by 20 shots, you still have no better chance of winning anything other than a trophy uh, than the guy that all rode and bought some raffle tickets, right? Well, um, the guy that actually won it was a buddy of mine, um, uh, Matt. He uh, He's a He's a cold-blooded killer, man. He is, uh, he's the most unassuming person you would meet in doing this. He he looks like he's like a a gamer or something like video games, and he's a cold-blooded killer. Um, and, uh, Matt Enoch is his name. And, uh, he, uh, won in the raffle. He won a 6.5 Grendel, like, Howa bolt rifle or something. That night, so if you're not if you're not familiar with the Guardian, after day one, the winner of day one is matched up with the loser, the last place, right? And now for day two, they are a team. They shoot as a team. Uh, second place is matched up with the second to last shooter, and so on and so forth. And Matt won this rifle. Met the guy, the the old man, the old gentleman that was you know. He got two hits all day shooting that single shot, 243 AI. And he he was like, look, I'm going to set this rifle up, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot it tomorrow. You're going to shoot my rifle. And that's what he did. Now, they didn't win, but that guy said, I didn't think I could have more fun than I did yesterday. This was even more fun. That is the community in which you're about to embark into. Um another guardian story the guardian that i shot at woody's uh friends of mine uh jamie and ashley shelburne their niece ella i think she was 11 this was two years ago i think sweet as pie awesome attitude as well damn good shooter she was a freaking killer man she surprised a whole lot of believe me there's some feelings hurt that day because she beat some grown-ass men but she was using Brittany McMillan's rifle, and she was having some feeding issues, and I, I let her use one of my magazines to see if it worked better, and it did feed a little bit better. But she was still having rifle issues. She didn't have a rifle of her own. 
And uh, when the match was over with, you know, all of us were talking about we all wanted to win, like, a, a rifle. I wanted to, specifically, I wanted to win the rifle that was up there because I wanted to give it to Ella. I don't even remember what it was, but it was a perfect setup for a 11-year-old girl to start her career in precision rifle. Um, and my buddy Jesse Cook was sitting beside me, and his bitch ass won it and gave it to her. But she ended up getting, been was given to her. She didn't even win it. It was given to her. She got a rifle, a scope, a bipod, I think, and like a muzzle brake or something like that. I think all she needed was like scope rings or something like that. And she got her first rifle. And then, I mean, it was amazing. She lit up, was glowing like a Christmas tree. And it it was an amazing thing. That is who you are going to be involved with when getting into this game. These guys, Jesse could have easily taken that rifle, taken it home, and selling it. And making, you know, uh, maybe a grand on it or something like that. He didn't do that. Whoever won the scope, he didn't do that. He gave it to a complete stranger. And, you know, that's the type of people. I'm not saying you go to your first match, people going to be giving you a damn rifle. Don't expect that. But expect hospitality. Expect sportsmanship to where when you're in need, and there's things that you don't have. People are, are going to be, like I said, falling over themselves to help you. That is what you're getting into. Um, and it's a great community, of, uh, like a family environment. Believe me, the biggest, the f- most fun part about going to a match, really to me at least, it isn't the shooting. I love the shooting. Don't get me wrong. I am a nut. I am. I, I absolutely love it. But the most fun thing is the, the camaraderie. The after the match, drinking beers together, talking shit, you know, making fun of each other in, in a in a you know a fun way. Um, the you know all the jokes. It's it's so much fun, and you meet some amazing people from all walks of life. Um, I have met some amazing people that I'm still. I met them at a match, and I'm still friends with them now. I am good friends with them now. And uh, it's awesome. You build relationships. You build, you know, brothers and sisters in this. And it's an amazing place to, to, to be a part of and be included in. Um, so, yeah, if this is your first match, I'm not saying it has to be a Guardian, but it would be who of you to do a Guardian. Because, um, you know, a situation that I was in in the last Guardian I shot, um, Phil Vallejo came and killed shit. He came here to stay here at the house, and I treated him to some southern hospitality food, and we went and got beers and stuff the night before uh, the train-up day that he did. Had a good time there, and uh, Phil put on a good clinic for the, the newer shooters, a free train-up day. Phil charges money for that stuff, and at a garden, you get it for free, which uh, that says a lot. Um, it's really that's some, some A1, some, you know, first class instruction you're getting and uh but anyway uh phil came and won everything he, he won the match one top military one day two the team match um i think i got like 20th in that match uh, out of like 120 140 shooters maybe i don't remember what it was 
it was a big show. It was an awesome match. Beautiful weather. Um, but day two, I got paired up with a man, a young man out of from actually from Maryland, where like twenty minutes from where my dog training club is, and that was cool in and of itself. Uh, we talked about that. He couldn't believe that I knew that he was from Waldorf. He's like, I can't believe someone knows where Waldorf, Maryland is. I was like, Hell yeah, Waldorf is like in uh, China when you're in the rest of the DMV. Everybody looks at it; it is so far away, but it's only like thirty minutes. Um, if you're from the DMV, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but, uh, he came to the guardian with a, some, I don't remember what the manufacturer of the barrel action was, but it was like a factory barrel action. He had it in the MPA light chassis and he had an ammo can with his ammo in it. Did he have a, did he have a pack? He had an ammo can and he may, may be listening to this podcast right now cause we're, we're still friends on Instagram and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, anyway, he, uh, and had his dope written down on like a piece of paper or something. Uh, he may he may have had like an app on his phone. I can't remember, but it was you know he had very very bare bones. Didn't have a bag. I don't think he even had a shooting bag. Um, I told him when we met up before the day started. I said, "Look, how'd you do yesterday?" He said, "Man, I I did I ate shit yesterday." I said, "Okay, here's what we're gonna do." I do not care if I shoot a single bullet today. I don't care if one round comes out of my barrel today. I want you, at the end of this day, I want you to leave here and drive on your way home to Maryland a better shooter than you were before you pulled up here in North Carolina. I told him that what I'm going to do is when we get to a stage, this, the course of fire was literally the same exact course of fire from the day before. It was just this, the time was uh, added. I think they added 10 seconds. So I think it was 100 seconds and split between the two people to shoot, one shooter at a time. I said, I will do what you want me to do if you want me to shoot it first so that you can then see. But what I'd rather you do is I'd rather you shoot first. Before we shoot, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask you how you did on that particular stage and what you did. If I think, even if you did well, if there's, if there's even something that I think there's going to be a better way to do it, maybe get the same amount of hits but move faster, move quicker, that's where I want you to try. If it's you if you really ate shit on this stage yesterday, then I will tell you what you need to do here. Take your time. You don't worry about the clock. You break good shots. You get stable. You get comfortable. You break good shots. If I don't shoot again, if I don't shoot all day, I'm fine. I'm ready for drink beer. I'm uh, ready to drink beers after this. So, uh, and that's what we did. And he was like, man, I did way better on that than I did yesterday. Or I would have never thought about, uh, shooting that prop yesterday, the way you told me to do it. And it made so much sense to me. Um, and he did well. I mean, we, we had, I think I ended up shooting like maybe 25, 30 rounds that day. And that was completely fine with me. I said, we're not, we're not hunting for the win here. We're hunting for you, the overall big picture win, which is you are a better shooter. Okay. Um, I hope that if you shoot a guardian and you get paired up with a much better shooter, I hope for your sake that that is what you, what he does or what she does. Um, and the most of the time, the, the, the higher the level shooter, 
the more likely that's what they're going to do because they know they have something to offer you that you might not get, you know, you wouldn't get if you were just shooting it by yourself. And that is the, if, when I shoot the Guardian coming up in April, you know, depending on who I get paired up with, if they're a new shooter or, and he was, that was his first match. Um, uh, if I get paired up with a new shooter or whether it's his first match or second match and he didn't feel very comfortable with the course of fire the day before, then, you know, I'd be more than happy to run. That's what I want to do. I'm, you know, ultimately it's up to him. If he says, no, I mean, let's go, let's go win this trophy. Then we'll do, I'll do what I do my part. Um, and try to help him as much as I can along the way. But, you know, bottom line, I want him to become a, a be a better shooter. So, um, anyway, I think that's pretty good for uh, the first episode, guys. I'm gonna, I did, for once, did something that I didn't say I was, or said I wouldn't do would be make any kind of notes. Because um, that's not really the, that's not really the flow I want. The flow I want is going to be just like organic conversation um, this podcast turned out to be a little sim- a little bit similar to the one I recorded last night, but uh, exactly 21 minutes longer. Um, and I, th- I actually think this went better than the first one did. So uh, from now on, I'm gonna uh, I'll do better about my language and <laughs> and uh, try to stay on topic for you guys. And um, and I'm gonna get I, I'm gonna do it for you guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down. I'm gonna play with this Audacity app to try to get a more reliable recording source and and possibly if there is any type of these glitches like I had in the one I recorded last night, I'll be go back and be able to fix them. Um, you know, for all everybody who commented on the Podbean app today from the episode one or sending me the text messages uh, you know, to my phone or the messages on Instagram, the comments on Instagram or the uh, post, you know, the comments in my thread on Sniper's Hive. I really appreciate you guys, and, and I'm glad that I'm, I actually got a better, a, a, a better reception from the first episode than I expected, and that was awesome, and, and I owe it to you guys. Um, if y'all have any suggestions, any concerns, any uh, bitches and moans, gripes, complaints, Feel free to do it. Let me know, uh, and uh, we'll talk about it. Um, if you've got any topics y'all want to cover, if I can cover it, I'm not going to sit here and blow smoke up your ass or mine, you know, claiming that I know something that I don't. Uh, we'll figure it out together if I don't know it. So, anyway, appreciate it, guys. I'm going to get this up uploaded tonight. Check it out in the morning. Peace.